Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast, where we look at the trends impacting mid-sized companies and the influencers behind their success. I'm Katie Mulligan, an editor with ACG's Middle Market Growth magazine. For this week's episode, I spoke with Joe Brusuelis, Chief Economist at RSM. Joe spoke with me by phone on March 19th about the impact on middle market companies of President Trump's proposed tariffs. He was recently in China, so he also talked about that trip and the market opportunities that he's seeing in that country. He also previewed the findings of the RSM Middle Market Business Index, which showed the increasing pricing power of U.S. mid-sized companies, and he offered some additional insight into what those findings included. You can find the full report on RSM's website. It's always great to talk with Joe, who has been a recurring guest on the podcast, and you will continue to hear from him here. Uh, But for now, here's our most recent conversation. Joe, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. So since trade and tariffs have been hot topics in the news and issues that you've been writing a lot about, let's start there. How do you expect President Trump's proposed steel and aluminum tariffs to impact middle market companies? Well, this is going to be a real challenge for middle market firms. You know, the the size of the tariffs on steel and aluminums in and amongst themselves is not going to extract such a large economic cost. The problem will be the retaliation by the number of non-exempt states. And what typically happens is, is that the big companies end up absorbing the, the tariff hits and the retaliations and then they jam those costs uh, through down into the, the different ecosystems that the middle market occupies. And so it is middle market firms that largely are going to bear the disproportionate burden of the adjustment cost due to the imposition of the steel and aluminum tariffs. And that's the, the real concern. Hmm. Second is any time a president, regardless of who it is, um, imposes tariffs, they're picking winners and losers. And in this case, you essentially have an administration paying back political favors uh, for Newport Steel and other uh, different firms who supported Mr. Trump during the election. As such, he's conferring advantage to these steel firms and making automobile firms, aerospace firms, transportation firms they're going to bear that cost. Hmm. And that's always an issue, regardless of who's president. Sure. And you recently returned from China, which is a country that Trump has proposed placing a separate set of tariffs on in response to its pressure on U.S. companies to transfer technology to Chinese firms. Talk about that proposed package of tariffs and whether this is the right course of action to deal with what does appear to be a pretty serious issue for U.S. companies. Okay, well, we're still in the early days of this, and we don't have the definitive package yet. It looks to be somewhere between 30 and $60 billion uh, in terms of tariffs spread out across uh, 100 different uh, companies and spread out a- across a-, a large number of different industries. Now, my sense of this is, there's an emerging bipartisan consensus in Washington that something has to be done about China's appropriation of intellectual property and reciprocity in terms of market opening. I think that there are better ways to do this rather than using the tariff vehicle. You know, a tariff is a tax. 
it's a big blunt weapon. It's like attempting to kill a TT fly that's on your desk with an anvil. You'll kill the anvil, but you'll also take out the desk and likely do damage to the floor, right? So, in my, from my point of view, the way to address the Chinese problems in intellectual property and market reciprocity is to take them to the WTO courts, get a favorable ruling, give China a chance to uh, acknowledge the ruling or not acknowledge the ruling. If China does not want to go along with that, then you put together a coalition of, of countries, the United States, the Canadians, uh, the Europeans, and of course many of the states in Asia who are also having this problem, and then you address it in concert. That would seem to me to be the more effective way of doing this, rather than just you know saying, hey, we're going we're to put tariffs up for tariffs' sake. You know, if you take a step back and you look at the economics of it, and you think, okay, well, we're going to steal an aluminum tariffs, and then there's going to be another $60 billion in tariffs across a number of industries, well, you know, you're going to start to negate partially the, the economic boost that you're going to get from the recent tax cuts. And the U.S. Chamber of Commerce did a pretty good job on this, and they think it's likely to negate up to one-third of the benefits from the recent uh, imposed tax cuts. So I think there's still some room to, to discuss this going forward. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not so sure that the administration's thought this through in terms of its own economic policy. So I think that we should be sort of waiting and watching to see if they, A, actually do this, and B, are there going to be exemptions, such as the ones for Canada and Mexico with respect to steel and aluminum tariffs. And you've written about the differences between a trade war and what you call a trade spat. Can you talk about what differentiates the two? Well, yeah, sure. So we published a couple weeks ago a piece that was titled, How Do You Know You're in a Trade War? And so what I did was I laid out a framework for understanding so that our clients and policymakers could really begin to assess, are we in a trade war or not? The first thing to understand is, Trade friction is the natural state of affairs in the global economy. There's always going to be some form of trade friction, right? When you move, say, trade friction to what I call trading tariffs, right? Then you're you're in a full-on uh, tit-for-tat retaliation trade spat, and that 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 appears to be where we're headed with respect to steel and aluminum. Now, that doesn't mean you're in a full-on trade war. A trade war is very, very different and also very, very dangerous. Because at that point, what you're, where you're at is not only are you engaged in tit-for-tat retaliation, you can begin to see political, political rhetoric heat up. You know, you may see the Trump administration say, well, we've had it, and we're going to withdraw from NAFTA. If Mr. Trump withdraws from NAFTA, that's a serious uh, economic problem. Uh, that would put at risk all the hard-earned uh, gains over the last several years with respect to the economic recovery. Um, then you could plausibly see outright attacks on the World Trade Organization, erecting tariff and non-tariff barriers, and then you, you get into some real problems. You know, one of the reasons why we did this is we wanted policymakers to have something that was easy to understand and easy to use when looking at some of the proposals out of the Trump administration. The second thing is the United States hasn't done this in over 75 years. I mean, we, we just haven't. 
engaged in that sort of behavioral behavior since the late 1920s and early 1930s. And of course, that's the smooth holly trade tariff, which intensified the Great Depression. And there's a good reason why the U.S. chose to stay away from such policy. So at this point, we, you know, trade frictions are everywhere, and we, we are in now what you would call a trading of tariffs period, but we're not yet entered what I would classify as a trade war. I think it's a, it's a good way to get people to click on your, uh, your stories, and it's good headlines, but it's not necessarily the case. Were there any other insights from your trip uh, to China with respect to U.S.-China relations and, and what that means for the middle market? I think the thing that uh, is most impressive when you, you, you go to China is the, the scale of the development and modernization of, of that particular economy. You know, if you look at the economy uh, via purchasing power parity, the Chinese economy is now larger than the U.S. economy. I don't think many people really understand that. And you can begin to see the sort of the shape of the next uh, global economic order as the Chinese begin to move to reshape things in their own interest. Um, that uh, the, the competition from China, the risks around that competition, shouldn't be underestimated. Um, that the United States really has to get on it here in terms of reshaping its economy to compete, especially in the digital realm, that the, the digital economy is where the major competition is going to be. Um, I think if you're a middle market firm and you're thinking, well, how are we going to compete? You're thinking probably, well, we're going to use technology, right? We're going to begin to move towards the integration of artificial intelligence and machine learning into our operations. That's, and that's indeed what I would, what I would advocate and provide uh, counsel to do that. So at the end of 2017, it's really interesting. So China only had 9% of all the patents for AI, but those 9% accounted for 48% of the dollar volume mm. in terms of investment in technology and real cutting-edge technology. So you can begin to see the shape of where the competition's going to be and just how intense that competition's going to be. And it's one of the reasons why we've had that emerging bipartisan consensus that, okay, all the low-hanging fruit's been picked. The Chinese have done a great job and they deserve respect with respect to the modernization of their economy and the beginnings in manufacturing. But uh, it just stops here. And so this, this trade friction between the U.S. and China is not likely to abate anytime soon. Um, can you talk about the okay. Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States? We just had the collapse of the Broadcom-Qualcomm deal, and it's looking like CFIUS's scope uh, might be expanding beyond just purely national security concerns. Would you agree with that? And is this going to affect M&A in the middle market? Well, CFIUS is a blunt tool. My sense is, is that the Committee on Foreign Investment is not going to dramatically impact the middle market uh, anytime soon. This, they're largely going to be focused on risks around either A, national security, or B, what's emerging as a sort of U.S. industrial policy. Mm. Well, I don't think that we should be picking winners and losers. And in general, the government should stay out of uh, business affairs. Um, there is something to what they did with uh, Broadcom, the Broadcom-Qualcomm deal in terms of national security and the development of 5G in, uh, in the country, because of course, you know, 5G is going to be the, one of the 
the neural networks that we're going to be using to drive the digital economy over the next couple of decades. But right now, you're really not going to have much vis-a-vis the middle market that CFIUS is going to be uh, deciding. I think that's probably going to be more around the big active multinational firms. Mm. And another hot topic continues to be NAFTA renegotiation. In your view, what's at stake here for U.S. middle market companies, and, and what do you see as a likely outcome of those talks? Well, I mean, that's, that's the big button of the middle market. Those supply and value chains that have been constructed over the past generation are absolutely critical to the health and vitality of the middle market. My sense is, is that in April... 2018, you are going to see convergence on an agreement hmm. that decides if they've gotten just about as far as they're going to get. And so it's in no one's interest for NAFTA to, to be dissolved. So I'm expecting an, an agreement next month. Um, it's important that they get there before the election season starts in both the United States and Mexico. And it's especially critical that there be an agreement ready to be approved by the Mexican Senate before the new president in Mexico takes office December 1st. Mm. So we're on a short timetable. Things are quite critical at this point. Um, my sense is, is that uh, the Mexicans and the Canadians have figured out a way to work around some of the strenuous objections that the Trump administration has, and that we'll likely see an agreement here over the next 30 days. And switching gears a little bit, we are taping on Monday the 19th, and I understand that the RSM Middle Market Business Index is due out soon. Can you talk to me about some of the key findings of that report? Well, what you're going to see when we publish the report is a current and forward look that shows the U.S. middle market is firing on all cylinders. The middle market is strong. Expectations are robust. We're at an all-time high in terms of the top-line index. And if you look forward, you're going to see uh, the establishment of all-time highs in employment, compensation, net earnings, revenues, and capital expenditures. What was really interesting in the report is you're beginning to see the emergence of pricing power, which we haven't seen since we, we, we initiated the the index a number of years ago. And that's a function of rate business cycle dynamics. You're seeing rising costs that are now being passed through. And the middle market's increasingly confident that it can set, that it can do that even in an uber competitive global environment. Hmm. And so indeed, uh, you're going to see really one of the stronger quarters in terms of the middle market business activity that we've seen since we started the index. Are there any anticipated roadblocks that you're seeing for growth? Well, some of the risks are, are around prob- good problems. The major one is the labor market is just so tight uh, that, that that could be a problem. Later this year or next year, you could see bottlenecks develop, and that's something that we're, we're watching uh, quite closely. Second, even though we are seeing all-time high, uh, all-time highs, in terms of capital expenditures. I'm a little concerned, especially uh, with middle market firms falling behind the technological curve, hmm. that they either don't understand 
or they perceive it to be too expensive with respect to the integration of software, intellectual capital, and equipment into their businesses. Um, and I think those are those are the two major concerns this year, in addition to those we talked about earlier with respect to trade, especially around uh, supply and value chains uh, in NAFTA should we have a negative outcome in, in the NAFTA modernization talks. And when we spoke late last year, you forecast four interest rate hikes for 2018. Has your outlook on that changed at all, or is that still what you're expecting? No, no, that's uh, that outlook actually has been reinforced, and we're going to have uh, the first uh, Federal Reserve meeting uh, with a press conference this year here in, in a couple days, and I'm expecting an upgrade in the summary of economic projections. Um, well, I think it's a close call. My sense is that we'll see that fourth dot in the dot plot forecast the Fed puts out, indicating that we're going to get four rate hikes this year. And if they don't do it here at March, I'm fairly confident that they'll do it at their June meeting. Uh, you will see an additional 25 basis point hike put on the board. Um, the U.S. economy is doing quite well, and, it's, and I think it's appropriate that uh, we get that fourth rate hike uh, up there on the forecast so businesses can make uh, adjustments in, in terms of their expectations of what the term structure of interest rates is going to look like over the next couple of years. And last time you were on the podcast, you gave us a couple of book recommendations. So I wanted to check in to see if you're reading anything currently that you've found interesting or that's changing the way that you think about an issue. Well, um, you know, because I was going to be spending so much time in Asia this year, um, I went back and looked at uh, Hank Paulson's book, former Treasury Secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, on China, and of course, the latest book that uh, I would be, I would recommend that everybody take a look at is the the Thucydides Trap by Graham Allison, which talks about strategic interaction between the United States and China, and how we need to begin to look at China in a very different way. So those are the two uh, books lately that I uh, I would advocate people take a look at. Joe Brusuelas, thanks for joining me on this Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Subscribe to the show in the iTunes store where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. After you've rated the podcast, head over to our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more stories about successful mid-sized companies and middle market M&A.